Talk Back Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe on ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill. Good morning. Welcome to Talk Back Gardening on this October long weekend. A very happy gardening Saturday to you. And a very happy good morning to you, John Lamb. Yes, and good morning, Deb. Isn't it wonderful? The weather is just perfect for gardening. And six days in a row of temperatures in the 20s. When you consider that during September, we only had three days in the whole month that actually got to 20. And here it is. Uh, It's uh, uh, almost overdose, but... It was a very cool, wet start to spring, wasn't it, this year? And I'm not sure if that was um, unusual. Well, yes, and that was uh, one of those issues that uh, for Darren Ray, we, we've had this was a cool start last year and the previous year was cool starts. Could this be climate change? Might get my head... <laughs> well, Darren Ray, he's the man to ask that. Yeah, um, anyway, we'll, we'll be talking to Darren very much about uh, what's going to happen uh, this month in particular. Uh, certainly, I think in a lot of areas, the soil temperatures will get to 16 degrees, which is that magic figure where you put your plants in and they'll grow under 16 degrees. They'll sit there and sulk probably. So um, are they going to stay 16 or is that uh, showery weather we're going to get... Uh, going to result in uh, uh, going back to where we were. Mm. So a lot happening. And Darren has also got some very interesting comments to make about uh, uh, what's happening over the next three months, particularly take a note of what could happen in December and uh, then January. Remember last time Darren was talking, he was suggesting that January could be some very, very hot weather. So whether that's still on the cards, so much happening from a weather point of view and very interesting. And it's beautiful that Darren can actually take a look at what's about to receive, Yes, what and we're about to receive. That's right, and um, I'm keen to find out if he's got a prediction for Christmas Day. I know, <laughs> but we all do have plans, obviously, on Christmas Day. Let's see if he can be that specific. And, of course, the question this morning is to plant or not to plant? And that is the question when it comes to tomatoes. October long weekend, often the weekend that gardeners will head into the garden, and we've been asking you this morning to let us know, and I'll give you the answer to that question a little bit later before we catch up with Roger. And it's not fair. Deb won't tell me what's happening with the ticks. <laughs> So I don't know yet either. So we'll all know later on. And uh, as we go through that, Deb, we'll be talking to Roger Carthu from uh, Vital Veggies. And he's just uh, a font of information as to uh, how to get your tomato plants and also your other vegetable Mm. plants and your herbs and your flowers up and running. Wonderful. And I have a brand new October ABC Gardening Australia magazine to give away as well. But we want your questions, of course. So to jump in the queue, call in now on 1300 222 891. 1300 222 891. And you can text through your comments, which we love to receive, on 0467 922 891. The temperatures over the next three days are going to be well into the 20s. But then what happens, and a lot depends on what happens because many people are going to be out this weekend buying seedlings of tomatoes and cucumbers and zucchinis and all their warm season plants and they want to put them in the ground and they want them to grow. Well, will they grow? It all depends on soil temperatures. Uh, Darren Ray, we're having a bit of fun this morning with soil temperatures. Welcome to Talk Back Gardening. And uh, could you perhaps uh, give us an indication? Three days, quite likely soil temperatures will be into the 16 degrees, do you reckon? Yeah, good morning, John. Uh, g'day, Deb, and to all the listeners out there. Um, yeah, nice to be back. Um, yeah, interesting. It's it's glorious weather, isn't it? Um, so, you know, I did flag last time. It look, was looking like it was going to warm up the end of October and sorry, end of September, early October. And uh, yeah, we're in some glorious weather now, but it does uh, does look like it um, it is going to go back into something a bit cooler. And so, if you look at the bureau's forecast on Friday next week, it goes back to eighteen. And so, um, yeah, it, so an interesting one. I'm I'm no gardening expert, but um, in terms of what that's going to mean for the plants, but um, in terms of the weather, yeah, it does look like it's going to go back into that sort of high teens kind of weather for a week or so and then gradually warm up through the second half of October. 
So um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. Maybe perhaps the plants might salt for a bit of uh, uh, for you know for a week or so if they're put in put in this weekend. But um, they'll yeah they certainly will um, get back to the twenties. Okay, and but that's what the information conditions. we wanted is is you're suggesting that by the end of this week we go back to those cooler. Um, certainly they'll be cooler than average temperatures. Uh, but as we move through October, you're suggesting that. Uh, those temperatures are going to rise back up again and maybe uh, the temperatures, soil temperatures, will be back up into the 16s again. Yeah, yeah. So um, so Deb was coming about the cool spring and, and that's, you know, that's entirely um, entirely what you'd expect with the, the climate influence from the neg negative Indian Ocean dipole we've had around the last three, three springs. Um, so that does, yeah, it does make things a bit cooler than average. So it pushes back your planting times a little bit and... Uh, so it does mean, yeah, rather than the October long weekend, you're probably looking more towards the uh, second half of October or end of October to, to plant out. All right. That's and, what we're, exactly what we're seeing this year. And in terms of rainfall, it looks like we're going to get some moisture later in the week. Uh, what's going to happen through October in terms of rainfall? And will we get average or well above? Yeah, an interesting one. And um, So the first week, so the weather pattern that's producing the nice conditions at the moment through the next week or so, but there is some thundery uh, low pressure systems coming down from the north w w in this in this sort of weather pattern, and so there's one on sort of starts off Monday night and another one sort of later in the week, so Thursday, um, and there's a little bit of thunderstorm activity around with those. So, so it's probably worth just reminding people um, there is some potential for some significant rainfall if those thunderstorms come over the top of you. So, um, it is worth. Um, it is just worth getting out and just get, having a quick check around your gutters and make sure everything's all okay with, um, you know, uh, just in case you do get a th heavy thunderstorm come over the top of you. That's good advice. Week. Can I just uh, bop in there, uh, Darren, simply because after winter, all the deciduous trees have dropped their leaves, the gutters are probably full of leaves, and if we do get a thundery, could be a few problems out there. Yeah, yeah, it's just one to just, uh, yeah, just check out everything's okay. Um, and just on the rainfall totals, it does make them a little bit tricky because um, uh, if, you know, if, if Adelaide gets a thunderstorm come over the top and it could drop, you know, basically pretty close to or, or more than a month's average rainfall in, in, you know, in one hit. So that just does make the outlook a bit, you know, the outlook a bit tricky. But overall, it does look pretty average for rainfall totals. So, um, it, but it basically does, does suggest that we'll get... Most of what we get is probably will be in that, that first two weeks. So the first week, yes, that thundery, um, warmer conditions, and then it goes switches back into that cooler, more cold frontal. So a sequence of cold fronts coming over, over Adelaide and South Australia over the the second week. Yes. And then it looks like it does get a bit a little bit suppressed for a week or so, um, and then uh, the tropical activity does pick up again in the in the last week of the month. Okay, so a bit of moisture towards the end of October, then that takes us into uh, November. Will the showers extend into November? Yeah, so that's yeah, so that sort of pulsing on and off thing that we see a bit of um, is uh, so it does does look like it'll switch off a bit uh, around uh, through the second half of October and then switch <laughs> on again at the end. So and then continue into the first half of November. Um, and so November looks looks a bit the same, sort of switching off again, mid-November and then on again at the end of November. Um, overall, the rainfall totals look um, you know look around average, um, but once again, it's a little bit tricky in terms of that sort of you get a decent sort of tropical um, burst. Um, it's fascinating the how yeah, the, the, the the end of a month seems to be showery, and that sort of moves into the beginning of the next month, and then it sort of uh, dries out a little bit, and back it comes again. Um, yeah. We need to, need to take a look at temperatures before we leave November. Um, so yeah, it is it is warming up. So um, probably still a bit on the mild side, but um, on the milder side, but um, and so yeah, certainly. This, that's one of the key things, John. Is there's there's no indication of any sort of heatwave activity at all the rest of this year, which is I think people might appreciate. But um, but things returning more to average um, through November. Any frosts or uh, in terms of uh, very cold nights, uh, could we get a few frosts in November or a lot of frost um, in November? Or how do you see the scene there? Yeah, it looks extremely low risk, John. Um, just I mean, overall, like the, the weather patterns over the next in both this sort of this, this tropical activity and then the the cold frontal stuff is it just is a bit windier than usual. So 
uh, we've got <clears throat> got soil temperatures that are a little bit wetter than average and windier conditions. So, and we're starting to move out of the, the prosperous time of year. So I'm not seeing not seeing you know low slow moving low pressure systems sitting over the top of Adelaide. Um, uh, being which are conducive to the frost events. All right. So take us into December, and uh, often <clears throat> in December it can be a little bit thundery. What can you see for this December? Yeah, it's um, yeah, December is a really interesting time of year. Often in early December you um, you get a burst of tropical activity that kicks off you know, at the start of the monsoon in the north, and and that can impact um, across um, uh, across South Australia as well. And that's we're looking looking like a fairly active month tropically, uh, particularly in the first sort of week or so. Once again, so late November into early December, um, and then it does look like it eases off a little bit and comes back again in the last week of the month again. So, so this tropical stuff does have a roughly four, maybe six, four to six week cycle, and we're seeing that pretty consistently at the moment. Deb wants to know Christmas Day. Can we drop that on you yet? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, um, so what I'm seeing is there's there's a lot of the a lot of those ducks in terms of the tropical activity are lining up in that last week of um, December. So, so yeah, I'm seeing a pretty pretty strong, oh, yeah, a reasonably strong signal there for sort of tropical activity coming together in the last week that suggests we might have a wet Christmas. Um, so. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna put that out there. That um, you know, watch out for some rainfall at Christmas. Okay, well, the last, <laughs> we'll see how we we'll see how we go. The last three years, you've been sort of putting your money on the temperatures, and you've been pretty well spot on within a degree. So uh, this time, right down, Darren Ray says showers or thunderies. What are you, how are you just describing a wet Christmas? A, a wet Christmas. Okay. <laughs> well, we might have. To, well, well, yes. I'm, so I'm. I'm Yes, going out well ahead, but just a <laughs> bit of a punt. But um, and we'll, we'll wait for temperatures till we get a little bit closer. Okay, so, uh, you heard well, it yeah. here first. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, and we need also uh, last month uh, when you were talking, you gave us a heads up and said at that stage there was a potential for some pretty hot weather in January, particularly early January. Could you give us an update of whether the systems have changed or whether it's still on? Yeah. So, um, so in terms of the, um, so just just quickly, the the climate influences, the negative IODs looking like it'll weaken out um, by December. So that as as typically does. So that's gone in terms of influence. But the the Bureau declared a La Nina event has started. So we're back into our third La Nina event. But it is looking like it's going to be around um, only for a fairly short period. So they typically peak in December and then weaken out during um, during the first few months of the of the following year. And this one looks like it's going to die off pretty quickly. So, what you often see is um, is more of a cooler, milder, sorry, uh, cooler, cooler and wetter influence in the first half of summer, and then it gets a bit more normal in the second half of summer in in La Nina summers. That's looking very much the case this year. So it looks like the La Nina are wicked off very quickly. January looks very average for, uh, sorry, um, this does look like it um, warms up very, very, very considerably in this uh, sort of first. 10 days or so and uh, you know through mid-January it looks very warm um, interestingly it does look in, this is I mean, get looking digging at the modeling it does look like it um, uh, the rest of summer doesn't look so hot so it does weaken off sort of early mid-February in terms of heat extremes um, but overall in terms of rainfall it looks a little bit on the dry side for rain in January and uh, so yeah the rest of January looks a little bit drier sorry the rest of summer looks a bit drier and um, yeah, that heat focused in, in sort of mid January through to early February. All right, and that heat in January will that come as a wave or little spikes? Um, oh, it's like it's a pretty solid block showing up in the model modelling out, out, output. Um, so yeah, it does look like it could be a pretty 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 persistent run of heat. But it uh, yeah, it does, looks like it could be our possibly the only one that we see through summer. All so, right, and so yeah. I think that's a wonderful summary of uh, what we're about to receive. And the facetious remark I made before, uh, this year, cool start to spring, same as the year before and the year before. Could that be climate change or is that just pie in the sky? Oh, it's just the, this just the influences, the natural variability that we're seeing year, happens year to year that we're seeing um, over the last three years. So that negative indication dipole influence, the La Nina conditions all tend to result in cooler cooler and wetter conditions. So, 
Yeah, it's going to be an interesting one when we do pop back into an El Nino event um, because we could see some significant impacts of that uh, when we do get an El Nino year turning up. Well, Darren Ray, we look forward very much to talking to you in one month's time and uh, thank you very much for your uh, consideration in terms of temperatures in particular for September. All right. Thanks, John. Thanks, Deb. Thank you, Darren. Look forward to catching you in November. Enjoy your long weekend. Darren Ray, our independent climatologist. And uh, if you would like to hear what Darren had to say again, you can listen back to the ABC Talkback Gardening from 9 until 10 on a podcast via the ABC Listen app. It's very easy to find in that. Or you can listen to it online at abc.net.au. Easy couple of ways to find us there. We're coming to your calls in just a moment. We'll speak to Julian up first and Charlotte and Katrina. If you'd like to join them, please call in on 1300 222 891. Talk Back Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe on ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill. It's certainly the perfect weekend to be working in the garden. Julian from Mitchell Park, sounds like you're doing just that and you want to transplant a frangipani. Yes, just wanting some advice on the timing and also any techniques that John might recommend. A frangipani. How big is it? And uh... it's probably a metre and a half, maybe two metres. No, probably a metre and a half tall. It's in a pot, so the root is. No, it's in a container. I'm thinking it's already in the garden. Oh yeah, sorry. No, it's in a pot, so it's just moving it out of the pot into the ground. Well, I suggest that you don't hurry. Take uh, your time, and maybe as we move towards the end of October. when uh, we're going to get a little bit of cooler weather in the next week and then it's going to warm up a little bit towards the end of October. And at that stage, I think, would be a good time to move your frangipani. Even if you did it in early November, that would still be okay. But you need to not wait much longer than that because uh, we're going to get some hot weather in January and what you'll need is a good, healthy well-established root system by that time. And if you do that, I think you'll have no problems at all. Okay, thanks, John. Easy done. Thanks very much, Julian, for the call. Uh, Charlotte is in Malang. Uh, Charlotte, you've got a tomato question. Yes, good morning. Um, I bought smaller tomatoes, but special tomatoes, not half a dozen in a packet, and I transplanted them into a bigger pot until the weather gets right. And we travel back and forth. And my husband. We're just finding it hard to hear you, Charlotte. Are are you just speaking into the mouthpiece? I think so, yes. Okay, that's much better. Sorry. Yep. And um, the tips of two of them have have come off. And I'm just, they're indeterminate tomatoes. So I'm just wondering, will they still grow upwards with other branches? Yes, you'll find that probably the uh, buds closest to the top will take over and one of them will say, I'm the leader, and it will uh, tell the other ones, don't grow so fast, and uh, it'll re-establish itself. Uh, Or it may be that what you're going to do is get uh, two or three fairly strong uh, branches uh, which can become leaders, and I wouldn't be at all worried about that. It just means that instead of having one big stem with your side branches, you have... uh, Uh, maybe three main stems with side branches and what you should get is a a more compact bush and it won't grow as tall as it was going to be in the past. Or as wide. (laughs) Okay, thank you so very much for that. (laughs) Thank Thank you, you. Charlotte, for the call. Enjoy your walk. Uh, Katrina is at O'Sullivan's Beach. You've got some cystium trees, Katrina. I do, the big reds. And the young tips are always getting the little mites. And I've been spraying with the white oil continuously, but they'll become unmanageable as far as height to do that. And it advises to put in what is the imidacloprid. Imidacloprid, yeah, confidant. That's the one, into the soil around the roots. Once that's absorbed into the plant, will that hurt the birds and the insects like the butterflies that are attracted to the tree? Yeah, it certainly will. But let's come back to it. You you say mites. Um, These are little puckered areas, is it? Yes, yes, on all the new growth. Yeah, Yeah, like I've cut off the new growth a number of times and sprayed it. No, well, they're not mites. They're psyllids. They're sap-sucking insects, and they mainly affect the tips of your plant. And I would suggest that if you can just... Uh, take the tips off. Just get some hedge clippers and just give it a clipping all over if you can. Can all you right. do it all over or 
Uh, oh, no, I can't, yeah, because they're still small enough to do that at yeah, the moment. No, yeah, no, well, just, just, just clip them off because right. that, that will means that most of the psyllids, 90% of the psyllids, will be on the ground. There are okay. a, biological agents which uh, eat psyllids, and you'll find oh. that the psyllid, if you drop the, the tips on the ground, the, yep. uh, that the tips will stay alive for a couple of weeks, uh, and also the psyllids will stay alive for a couple of weeks, and that gives the opportunity for the little natural predators to go get down there, get stuck into them, and oh, it, cool. it increases the population of your good guys. And so oh. next time, uh, probably in autumn, when the psyllids, another wave of psyllids will come in, you'll find that yep. there are more predators there, and you'll get damage, but it won't be as severe as it is at the moment. Okay, excellent. Thanks very much. You have a good day. Thank, Thank you. you. Same to you, All Katrina. Right. Thanks. Right. <laughs> Lovely to hear from you. If you'd like to jump on and talk to John, and let's face it, a lot can be done in the garden this weekend, then please do so, uh, calling in on 1300 222 What are you going to do in your garden this weekend? Are you going to get time? Uh, not really. No, I'm not. <laughs> but I can tell you what um, I started to do with the, the five minutes here and there is to try and pull up some of the weeds, which are just growing. They're yeah. the best things growing in my garden at the moment. Uh, well, just skim them off, get the uh, spade out and just skim the tops off. And probably most of them are annuals anyway. And then you've got yourself the beginning of a compost heap. Yes, exactly. But I, I do try and pull mine out. They've overtaken my garden. And I have to say, John, I was going to save this until when we were talking about um, tomatoes, but my self-seeded ones have come up and they're looking fantastic. Isn't that fascinating? Covered in flowers, but they're in a very sunny spot. Well, um, again, stay tuned to what Roger Carthew might say because uh, the concept of uh, the best tomato plants to grow in compost heaps, and there's a reason for that, and we'll talk to Roger later on. Let's go to Happy Valley now. Vicky, you've got a raised garden bed that you've been growing herbs in. Sounds lovely. Yes, um, thank you. Um, I was wanting to replace the herbs and grow some cherry tomatoes, and I think I'll probably need to improve the soil some way. So I'm wondering, improve it or replace it? Um, No, no, improve every time. Uh, the concept yeah. of coming in with a new lot of soil, I don't go with at all, simply because uh, you've got to improve that anyway, depending on what kind of soil you get. It's much easier to improve, even if you've got crummy clay soil, you can put gypsum on. Salix Beach, I presume you don't have sandy, you've probably got sandy soil, have you? Um, this is in a raised bed, so oh, I've okay. just bought earth in for that. So, all right, um, well, buy yeah. a good quality, a bag of good quality compost. Uh, so there will be bags out there for $3 or $4 and there will be bags out there for 8 or $9. Go for the 8 or $9 every time. And the same thing, people are going to buy heaps of potting mix this weekend. If you're going to buy potting mix, for heaven's sake, look for the little registration side at the little ticks on, uh, on the box uh, on the side. That's quality. You'll get aeration and drainage. If you pay a miserable 3 or $4 for the crummy stuff out there, you're going to be in for trouble. So we come back. To, <laughs> had to get that in, Deb. Uh, <laughs> <so> we, <laughs> we, we, we come back to the problem. Uh, yeah, if you just mix up probably about 20, 25% of uh, by volume. So if you've got a, a, an area of square metre, you'd be probably putting on a, a three or four centimetre layer of compost on top and just mixing it up so you're mixing it into the top 20 centimetres of soil. That improves it no end. You've got all these little goodies in there, little microbes, there's millions of them there, and they'll go to work and improve the soil, and when you get your plants in, it'll improve the health of your plants. Great. Thank you so much. Thanks for the call, Vicky. Lovely to hear from you. Um, we are Talkback Gardening. You can join in. one three hundred triple two eight nine one. as has John at Mount Barker. John, you've raised an issue that uh, kept me awake most of last night. Possums. Uh-oh. Yes, yes. I think every possum in Australia is in my backyard. No, I've got some of them in mine, believe me. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, uh, what's the question? <laughs> uh, they, Apart from how to get rid of them, <laughs> they bit off all the the stem, the new stems, twice. Oh, okay, on, on what plants? Uh, rose bushes. Oh, rose bushes. Okay. Well, you'll just find that that's uh, an early pruning. The roses will respond, 
And yeah. the nice thing about a rose is every time it produces a new stem, it produces a new rose at the end of the stem. So you'll probably get a delayed flowering, but you'll probably get a very significant flowering once the uh, plants recover. As for the possums, last week we had an interesting one uh, from uh, a caller. I didn't write down his name, but uh, he's using wheat as a decoy, not a decor. And and the whole idea there is you put your wheat to the side, uh, and so they prefer to eat wheat than they do uh, uh, roses, theoretically, and uh, so they eat that. The other one I find is is useful is putting on something that's uh, like garlic, thick garlic. You buy a a, a little bottle of garlic uh, um, paste (laughs) and mix that up uh, fairly uh, concentrated and then uh, strain it and spray that on. And what happens is the uh, possums get their feet uh, with garlic on them. They go home and lick it, and they don't like that. And if you put on the garlic often enough, that will stop them from uh, coming in. Now, one Absolutely more possum good. thing. Next week, next week, I'm pretty certain it's next week, uh, James Smith from For Nature mm. will be our guest. And what we're going to do is not say, how do we get rid of possums? Uh, it's how can we cohabit? with possums. How can you and the possums live together? And it may come in with all kinds of suggestions, but uh, 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 I've got a a lovely topic we're going to talk to uh, James about, and it's terms of putting little nests in trees for uh, for birds, but more of that next week. Okay. Thank you very much. Thanks, John. Stay tuned next week. Look forward to talking, as always, to James Smith. He's a a font of knowledge from For Nature or a fount, depending on which one you prefer. Julie is at lovely Selix Beach. You've got some curl leaf on a peach tree, Julie. Yes, yes, we do. Um, My husband's peach tree, he pruned it in about mid-August and then he sprayed it with a copper spray. Um, But now all the leaves are on, but it's just covered in curly leaves and it's just a massive pink colour curly leaves. So he's wondering what he did wrong, the poor thing. Fascinating. In fact, I've I've been trying to find a little spot in Talkback Gardening to do a bit of a survey. Are people problemed with curl leaf and it's been a strange kind of a spring because we have showery weather and then dry weather and it all depends Mm. if your peaches or your stone fruits open during showery weather it's quite likely you've got a curl leaf problem and if uh, they opened up during the, the dry period there's no curly leaves at all it's now too late to do anything in terms of preventing the problem you've got the problem and the best thing you can do is just let them fall to the ground. The the ones that are uh, distorted significantly will drop to the ground and the tree will um, get a bit of a setback unless you fertilise. Put on a good uh, quality fertiliser for fruit trees and put that on now, this weekend, water it well in, even though the soil is moist, and it will grow new leaves and the tree will recover very, very quickly. Thank you very much for that. That's okay. Thanks, Julie. Um, Can I just quickly just ask, he sprayed the ground with the copper spray the year before, but he didn't do it this year. That's got nothing to do with it, has it? No, don't spray the ground with copper because copper has very, very adverse effects on the soil microbes and the things in the soil. Tell him him in autumn, just as uh, the leaves are starting to fall, they've coloured and they're starting to fall off, that's the time Mm -hmm. to spray the tree with copper. And the second time is just before, underline just before the flowers open in springtime, put on another copper sprays. And if he does that, he shouldn't have a curl leaf problem next season. Oh, wonderful. Thank you so much. Bye. Thanks, Julie. Someone sent a text through saying, I think it's more a case of John is living in the possum's backyard and not the other way around. (laughs) Uh, It could be a way of looking at it. Lindsay, is it locked, please? Lindsay, you've got um, a question about citrus gall wasp. Yes, I've got a um, really well-established uh, lemon tree that is absolutely riddled with citrus gall wasp. Um, I moved into the property um, within the last kind of 12 months and I'm just really not sure what to do with it. I, I know I can't cut all of the gall wasp off, like all of the buds off because there's too much of it. Um, right. Put traps in, I've... 
I've cut some of them because I know that's a recommendation too, but I'm just... It's overwhelming. Okay, right. Well, do nothing, absolutely nothing for about three or four weeks at least. And a lot of people are doing what you're doing. They're, they're cutting the gall so that they think they're exposing the gall. But what that does is, depending on where the gall is, it weakens the branch. And so uh, uh, the, the you get rid of the citrus gall wasp, and, but what you've got is a weak branch, and if you get a new flowers and new fruit on the end, uh, they'll break, and so you lose some of your fruit. So I don't go for cutting the galls at all. If uh, it, it, the, the way to do it is wait until or just before the galls emerge. Now all the galls will emerge. Sorry, the wasp will start emerging in about the third week in November, in October, later this month. Now, from okay. about next week on, we'll be giving you the dates of when the wasp will start emerging here in Adelaide, and they'll be spot on into to the one degree or one one day. Uh, but you need to put on a spray of kaolin, kaolin clay. If you go to your garden centre, and I'd mm-hmm. like to think that all garden centres now have their supplies, and it's just called citrus gall wasp spray. But it's kaolin clay, K-A-O-L-I-N. Do I need to be able to access the whole tree? Because it's it's quite big and kind of in the corner of my yard, and it's not a big yard. Well, get a so get, get a sprayer that will. You can get a spray with a pump spray, and you can get the spray up. You spray the whole okay. tree, but you've got to spray the whole tree. Uh, and if you've got kaolin clay there, the wasp can't lay its eggs in there. And what you've got to do is stop the wasp from laying eggs. And the kale and clay uh, will turn the tree white. And if it's up against a fence, I'd suggest you put a sheet or something like that behind the tree so you don't get white all over your your fence. But more about that later on. But if you stop the wasps from laying eggs you'll be amazed, you'll get 90%, 95% control of citrus gall wasp next year. More okay. in this in the next two or three weeks. Brilliant. Thank you for that. Thanks, Lindsay. It's reassuring. Yeah, stay tuned. And John will give you, it, the timing is all, isn't it, John? Yeah, yeah. and in particular, in citrus, in, in, in the, the Good Gardening newsletter, we'll be uh, probably driving people mad with information about citrus gall wasp, but um, I can't get it all across in either radio, but we can put it there in writing, and it's there. And I'd suggest, uh, if you're interested with citrus gall wasp, print out those pages so that you've got it as a reference. Yes, good idea. Yvonne, in Normanville, You've got some black mould growing through your plants. Yes, I have. I've got it spreading from one end of the... Oh, not really, but I've got it up the front of my yard and I've got it at the back of my yard and it's spreading from one plant to the other and it's terrible. We've done everything. We've poured, you know, warm water, soapy water over it and we've put white oil and we've done everything but it still keeps moving on and we like to shape our plants and unfortunately this rotten mould has gone right along all the stems and it's going from one plant to the other and I, they're beautifully formed, these plants. I don't want to have to pull them out. This mould, is it on the plants or on the ground? It's on the plants. It's on all of the stems of the plants, on the backs of the leaves, and look, right up. All right. Does it look like it's, yes. it's look, looks like soot? Yes. Okay. Exactly. That's sooty yes. mould. So, yes. Sooty mould is caused by uh, uh, the fungus living on... Uh, uh, sweet material and what you've got to do is you'll you'll find that the plants that are being affected uh, you've either got scale or aphids on there and they're sucking sap sucking insects are causing um, the uh, attacking the tree and they exude their excess uh, material the sap that they have sucked and they mm-hmm. and the soot gets established onto the material that's left over from those insects and if yeah. you get rid of the uh, sap-sucking insects, and that's very easy, you use a horticultural oil spray. And the trees, yeah. the plants that are being affected, spray them this weekend, and in about three or four weeks' time, put on a second spray. And the other thing right. is, you must control the ants. Ants are moving the sap-sucking insects from one plant to another, and... <clears throat> If you don't control the ants, they'll bring back the sap-sucking insects and the fungus will return. And so it's called a horticulture? Just 
just a, a horticultural oil, just eco oil. eco oil or pest oil are the brands that eco. you can get. Eco oh, oil or pest, pest oil. oil. Pest oil. Yep. Thank you very much. I hope that works because I've tried. Fingers so crossed. <laughs> Thank you, Yvonne. I hope it goes well for you. We are talking tomatoes next. We've <clears> asked <throat> the big question today, to plant or not to plant this October long weekend. We'll find out what you had to say about that and what expert Roger Carthew is doing in just a moment. Talk Back Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe on ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill. We are Talk Back Gardening this morning and earlier today, John asked you the question, are you planting your tomatoes this October long weekend? Well, I can tell you, John, 62% of people are going one way or the other. Would you like to guess which way? Well, I would like to think that they are waiting but I suspect that probably human nature as it is, tradition is very, very strong and probably 62% are going to plant their tomatoes this weekend and will they uh, sulk next weekend? No, believe it or not, 62% are not planting. 62% are not planting, John. So mm. there you go. They're listening. That 62% need to be congratulated. <laughs> Look, I'll give you some names. Grant from Summertown, Joy from Tanunda, Dave in Mount Pleasant, someone from Handoff, Wendy in Evanston Park, all around the state, Helen from Narracourt, uh, Wendy from Paravista, Chris from Heathfield, Steph in Stirling, Wally Cuddly Creek. I could go on, I won't, um, but there are many, many of you, and thank you very much. I, I did take all of your details down. Um, in the yes zone, quite a few people. Glenn from Williamstown said, yes, planted last weekend, as did Peter. And this texter just said, yes, I'm planting this weekend. I don't care what anyone says. <laughs> uh, Richard at Morfitt Vale um, planted tomatoes and zucchinis two weeks ago. Joe from Oaklands Parks planted but in pots only, so possibly in a sunny spot there. So Antonio from Ross Trevor has already planted 16 plants. So quite a few people have already, so it'd be nice to do a bit of a, an experiment in a few weeks' time and see yes. where they're at. Fascinating. And I spoke to uh, the people that produce the seedlings and they have indicated that they have really uh, uh, stepped up production because they're anticipating there'll be a lot more people growing tomatoes and warm season vegetables this season than in the past. New gardeners, that's good. But um, they have indicated that uh, they anticipate that uh, it'll be an extended a sales period and I spoke to Brett Draper, who manages one of our major garden centres, and he's saying that the, the smart gardeners are saying to him that they are not planting. They're waiting until uh, uh, warmer weather comes. And so I think there's some very smart gardeners out there. But <laughs> Let's find out what Roger Carthew thinks. <laughs> yes. So, Roger Carthew, uh, you're uh, from uh, Vital Veggies. Um, you have a unique little small commercial vegetable garden almost in the centre of the city, uh, just west of the city. And uh, you also are a consulting home garden uh, vegetable uh, advisor. So what do you think? You've heard uh, what the people are saying. And as Deb mentioned, there's over 60% of the people are saying we're not planting this weekend. Good advice? Uh, I think so, John, yes, yes. Um, we have a number of issues this year. Perhaps the largest one is that the soils in many cases are quite saturated with moisture and that's making it hard work for the tomato plants. I think your listener that uh, suggested planting them in pots, say a 200 millimetre pot and putting them in a sheltered place in the sun on a veranda if you've got that space and then transplanting them when the soil is warmer and the overnight temperatures are warmer. Um, that's that's good advice, John. Yes, okay. And the fact that, of course, uh, wet soil is cold soil, it, 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 it takes longer to warm up. But uh, talking to you yesterday, and I was fascinated because you were saying, John, it all depends on the kind of soil you've got. Could you explain? Yes, sure. Um I I see gardens from the, the seaside suburbs, suburbs of Adelaide, across the Adelaide Plains to the to the foothills around McGill and all around that foothill area, up into the Adelaide Hills, and uh, 
there's a the seaside you can plant early and in fact I think you could wisely put them in now because that area gets more sun and as you go across to the foothills there's a, a smaller amounts of sun and then it becomes the most challenging up in the Adelaide Hills where last year um, I was planting early December for for cherry tomatoes and gross list type tomatoes um, so there is that profile across the Adelaide region. Does the colour of soil make a difference? Uh, black soils are the best to heat up. They heat up the fastest, but of course many people have mulch on the ground. So, um, But black soils heat up the fastest, John. The fact that there is a lot of organic matter in the soil, I understand that also can make a difference. Yes, it, it it helps the soil warm faster. Uh, it also helps the soil keep its structure. Um, the biggest problem, as I've already mentioned, is that in many cases the soil has lost its structure because of the rain that we've had and the rain that we look like we're going to get into the future. Um, so we're really, as far as I'm, my thinking is that we need to wait until the soil gets quite warm and starts to dry so that we can work on getting the structure back into the soil. Okay, so that's for people that are going to put their tomatoes into the soil. Um, some tips perhaps on uh, warming up if you bought your tomatoes and you're going to have them in containers. Any little hints on uh, keeping them warm? Uh, you could, If you have them in pots and you're happy, you could always bring them in overnight. Um, I know that tomatoes grow best when overnight temperatures are somewhere near 15 degrees. That's optimum. Um, but up in the Adelaide Hills, we're seeing overnight temperatures around fives and sevens. So that's that's why there's a real challenge there. But as you get closer to the to the Gulf, it gets warmer, and that's so. Just protecting the plant as much as you can. Yes, okay, they warm up during the day so uh, they don't like to get cold at night and uh, I think that's good advice. The other one is there will be a lot of people planting tomatoes for the first time. In terms of choice for first-time growers, uh, what kind of varieties would you be suggesting, particularly early in the season? Um, Cherry tomatoes, by my experience, are the easiest, but there are also um, a lot of heritage seeds that will cope with the uh, cool temperatures, seeds like uh, Russian red, Siberian, and also stupas will, will work very well. Well, Roger Carthy, thank you very much for joining us and answering the question to plant or not to plant this weekend. Uh, really appreciate it and look forward to talking to you again in Talkback Gardening. Thanks, Emma. Bye. Thank you. Roger Carthy from Vital Veggies, a home garden vegetable consultant who runs a very unique Adelaide-based mini commercial vegetable garden. Belinda is in Snowtown. Belinda, you've got a problem gum tree, have you? Uh, we've cut three down because they're going to be a problem if they fall on the, the house or the tanks. Um, we've obviously planted them t- where we shouldn't have. What do we do about um, poisoning what's left, like the stumps? So is the tree still alive? Yes. No, I don't. Well, I think if you get some uh, uh, triclopore, triclopore, that's blackberry killer and uh, it's yep. other names, but if you use that, and it's important. How, how thick is this, the trunk? Oh, eight, uh, no, that wouldn't be eight, uh, ten, 10 inches, 8, 10 inches wide. All right. I think go onto the web and, uh, uh, and access information on how to uh, use weedicide to kill trees. Uh, yep. To explain it is complicated. It's not doesn't make for good radio, but you've got to get the chemical, and it's important. If you look at the tree, uh, it's got outer bark, and then it's got some uh, ordinary bark, and then if you take that little layer off, there's a little layer of soft material. That's where it's growing. And then if you dig in probably more than about a centimetre, that's just wood, plain old wood. It's not growing, it's dead. 
So don't get the chemical boreholes and get in and fill it up, fill the wood up with chemical. You've got to get the chemical where the cane bill, what they call the cane bill layer, is that area between the dead wood and uh, the outer bark. And if you go onto the web, there are many ways of doing that. Good luck with that one, Belinda. Um, I've got a couple of trees causing havoc with my house, but I haven't got the heart to get rid of them. Oh dear. If you have not won anything from our station in the last month, I've got the brand new October ABC Gardening Australia magazine to send your way. Just one of them today. All you have to do is ring 1300 222 Talk back gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe on ABC Radio Adelaide. South Australia and Broken Hill. The phones are lighting up. I'll let you know who has won that magazine in just a moment. Tom from Holden Hill is next on Talkback Gardening. Um, Now, you want to know all about roots. We just heard of Belinda's problem with roots. Tom, what's your question? Uh, Good morning to all. Um, The fruit tree with the least aggressive roots, because I want to plant them near a a structure of fence, basically, a metal fence, is... Is there any trees, like, for example, nectarines are better than fig trees or fig trees are better than lemon? Okay, well, um, of those two, certainly. Your stone fruit trees probably might be your best bet. They have the uh, least adventurous root. It does, they don't go wandering around. But bear in mind what I said before. Roots will go where the water is. And you can control the roots and say, right, oh, I don't want you to go over here. Uh, can cause competition. I want you to stay in a particular area. And so if you say, right, oh, um, I want the tree uh, to sort of not, uh, roots to be only uh, probably uh, 25% more wider than the canopy of the tree. And then if you set up a an irrigation system, a dripper irrigation or micro irrigation system in a circle uh, around the tree and water that on a regular basis, uh, once a month uh, you give a, de- a decent amount of water, uh, you'll keep the roots where you want them to be. And if you don't, and if you don't water the tree and there, there's moisture somewhere else, the tree will find it and off its roots will go. But in terms of between figs and stone fruits, stone fruits are certainly the less aggressive and figs have got a, a very aggressive root system. But basically your stone fruit trees, um, certainly your stone fruits first and then pears would be a bit, bit more aggressive, apples probably in between. Thank you. And I think I've got uh, four or five cuttings. Uh, I'll plant myself in a huge container uh, of the old English mulberries, the black mulberries. And every year about this time, they put out a bud, but the bud never opens. And whereas the other variety of mulberries that I've grown from, from cuttings, they've already got fruit on them, and I've transplanted them into the garden. But these old English ones, or the black mulberry, I suppose you'd call it, um, it just forms a bud and it stays that way all through summer. Uh, in the, is it because it's in the container and there's something's going on there? Or, yep, or? I would suggest it is. They've got a fairly aggressive root system, and if mm. they don't get uh, their nutrients uh, and moisture uh, uh, right during the growing season, that's probably what could happen. Yep, I think it's mm. variety more than anything. Thank you, Tom, for the call. Um, we've got lots of people waiting to speak to John Lamb this morning, but I can say congratulations to Jeannie from Wollonga, who won the October ABC Gardening Australia magazine. Stefan is from Enfield with a rhubarb question. Welcome, Stefan. Good morning. What's the problem there, Stefan? Yeah, um, John, no, I've uh, had rhubarb in pots for years because I've never been able to grow it in the ground, and um, I'm, I'm able to pick rhubarb every six to seven weeks out of pot. That's good. But uh, I've gone away for two weeks' leave, and I've come back, and um, I've got a huge big flower coming out of one of my rhubarb plants. Off with its head. I'm just wondering... Sorry? Yeah, off with its head. Off with its head? Yeah, that's right. If it's going to seed, oh. it'll send up a stalk, and it's a seed, uh, it'll flower, and then try and set seed, and it'll take energy, a lot of energy from... Uh, uh, the plant itself, and uh, instead of getting lots of leaves, you'll only have fewer leaves. So if you take it off at the base and then give your uh, uh, plant a good application of fertiliser uh, without o- going overboard with that, it should set it up for the season ahead. Okay, and and if I do let it go to seed, would the seeds grow at all or no, not? No, no, oh, it may. I wouldn't try, though. Yeah, okay. Okay, thanks. Not a problem. Thanks Thank for you. the call, Stefan. Whoops, sorry. Uh, Keith is in Aldgate, wants to repot a blueberry. Hi, Keith. 
Yeah, hi, John. Hi, Deb. Um, yeah, I've got a blueberry that's been in the park probably for a few years now, and it's one of those, you, I look at it every year and think, oh, I should do that, I should do that. All right. Uh, is it ev- sorry, is it evergreen now? or deciduous? Uh, no, it's deciduous. deciduous. It's deciduous. Okay, righto. Well, you should have done it during winter, but uh, um, uh, if you're going to, you're going to put it in the ground or repot it to no, a larger container? Larger container. Righto. Well, if you take it out of its container, and if the root's going round in a circle, anything that's circling the root ball, chop those off, but don't disturb the rest of the root ball, and put it into a slightly larger container, not a much larger, slightly larger container, uh, you'll get away with it. Uh, keep. I'd be putting it somewhere out of the sun, not that we're going to get that much of it, but put it in a, a shady position for at least two weeks, for it allow it to recover, Give it a liquid fertilizer uh, and uh, stay away from fertilizer until it starts to come into new growth. And it won't affect the fruiting this year? Sorry? It won't affect the fruiting this year? Um, well, if it flowers and the fruits stay on, you, know, you should get away with it. But uh, if it's got a lot of flowers and a lot of fruit, then probably just reduce it. That will help it sort of recover. But uh, uh, if you get away with just uh, moving it without disturbing the root system too much, you won't have a problem and it should still be able to provide at least some fruit uh, later in the season. Okay, and I can repot a camellia now, that's okay? A camellia, yep, certainly do it now. Fabulous, Keith. Good luck this weekend. (laughs) So many people will be in the garden, including Dot, Michelle's mum, who apparently has the best veggie patch in Seton and it's her birthday today. So happy birthday, Dot. Um, And thank you to Jamie McElwain, who says a little teaser, Open Gardens SA will be doing a special event celebrating productive gardens next week. Next week. Next year. Next Let's year. get that right. Okay. And um, we'll have Jamie on the program. He's one of our top landscapers. And uh, we'll talk to him about that uh, particular event. We sure will. Yeah. And sorry I'm rushing, the, uh, but I'm just so aware that there were so many people who are not going to make it this morning, Deb. No, that's right. Lots of people didn't. But what are you going to be doing in your garden this weekend, John? I'm going to repot all my coleus. I've got about four. 40 different kind of coleus, and they're in little small containers. I've got them from cuttings to small small plants, and they're in little five-centimetre containers, and they'll go into ten-centimetre containers, and that will give me a great deal of enjoyment. Anyway, until next week, when James Smith from Four Nature will be our guest, I'll say good gardening.